0: Hello, and welcome to Resources Radio, a weekly podcast from Resources for the Future. I'm your host, Kristen Hayes. My guest today is Marissa Childs, currently a postdoctoral fellow at the Harvard University Center for the Environment. Dr. Childs recently earned her PhD from Stanford University's Emmett Interdisciplinary Program in Environment and Resources, and her research broadly focuses on the intersections of environment and human health. Today, we're going to be talking about research recently published by Marissa and a number of co-authors about the prevalence and dangers of wildfire smoke in the United States. Honestly, without even realizing I was doing it, I've now scheduled myself two resources radio conversations in a row on air pollution, and this time on a topic that has engendered growing concern in many spots in the U.S. So stay with us as we dive into this important topic. Hi, Marissa. Thanks so much for coming on Resources Radio, and it's really nice to talk with you today.
1: Thank you, Chris, and I'm happy to be here. Great.
0: So in reading a bit about your background, I saw that you study a range of topics that lie at the intersection of human health and the environment. So before we you know, turn to the paper itself, um, tell us a little bit about the the breadth of your areas of interest and maybe a little bit about how you came to be interested in those. Sure. I don't think
1: I really need to tell anyone in your audience this, but human health and environmental change are really intimately connected. So often when we talk about environmental change, we focus on images of polar bears on melting sea ice, but equally devastating and sometimes less photogenic is the human toll of environmental changes, in particular the human health effects. I originally started research wanting to better understand these connections and focused rather narrowly on vector-borne disease transmission. Um, but over time, the range of projects I work on has somewhat organically expanded to include everything from uh, COVID-19 transmission modeling to wildfire smoke.
0: Mm, okay. And can you just remind me to, so it's an interdisciplinary program in environment resources. What are the disciplines that are merged together in the program what are kind of the areas of study that you actually brought to your your focus on environment and human health
1: what I often say my research borrows on is disease ecology which focuses on infectious diseases and um, climate econometrics which tries to understand how environmental change affects all sorts of societal outcomes
0: hmm, interesting okay all right well let's turn to the topic at hand and I maybe at some point we could talk further about the the um disease work because that also sounds very interesting but certainly today's topic also one that's very relevant for the current time that we're in in the united states um and also something that resources for the future has also looked a lot at and so yeah let's dive into the conversation on air quality and wildfire smoke And as our listeners may know or remember um, from the, again, the aforementioned recent other episode on air pollution, um, so a key type of pollution of concern for human health is fine particulate matter, also referred to as PM 2.5. And so I just wanted to confirm with you first that that's, is that in fact the primary pollutant of concern that we're talking about when we think about wildfire smoke?
1: As you said, PM 2.5 is a major concern for health, and it's uh, the often the primary pollutant that we talk about when we talk about air pollution. And that's true in our research on wildfire smoke as well. Um, But I do wanna say that there's a lot we're still learning about what else is in wildfire smoke, um, which can include things like lead and heavy metals. um, And it's a function of both what is burning, whether that's homes and chemicals or industrial facilities, how hot the fire is burning, how far the smoke is traveling and how long it ages. Um, so much of the research that has occurred so far, including our work, has focused on PM two point five. But I think there's a lot more to unpack there to really start understanding the effects of wildfire smoke.
0: Interesting, and and I think I remember reading in the paper as well that um, not only are you know is PM two point five kind of a particular area of focus in this research, but there's actually the particulates that we're talking about. Uh, even when compared to other compositions of PM2.5, the particulates in wildfire smoke may be particularly concerning. Again, did I interpret that correctly? Is that something you can say a little bit more about?
1: I'll say a little bit, but I think we don't quite know
0: on this one yet. PM2.5
1: is really about the the diameter of the particle, so how big the particle is, which determines how far it can get into a human body, whether it gets into people's lungs and sometimes all the way into their bloodstreams for PM2.5. Um, but I think That doesn't say anything about the chemical composition of the particulates, and we're still learning more all the time about how smoke PM2.5 might differ from other sources of PM2.5. There's been one study in Southern California that suggested that smoke PM2.5 might have a 10 times larger health effect. They were particularly looking at respiratory hospitalizations. Um, But I think there's still a lot more that we need to figure out here, and i One of the things that I hope that these estimates can help us do, um, now that we have better estimates of smoke PM2Y5, is to try and really understand the relative harms from wildfire smoke and other
0: sources. Hmm. Okay. All right. Well, let's turn to the paper in particular. And uh, I I wanted to note that, you know, you and your co-authors worked to pretty, from my relative layman's point of view, but it's pretty significantly advanced the methodology of how we understand the distribution of PM 2.5 from wildfires in the US. And so um, it is, you know, in many ways, a methodological paper. And I guess I wanted to start by asking, um, what were the challenges in previous methodologies that you were working to overcome? And maybe, you know, what were some of the innovations that you all brought to bear and how you you think about understanding the prevalence of PM 2.5? I
1: think this paper's main offering is that it it takes a first step towards trying to quantify smoke PM 2.5 over the entire US for as long of a time period as we could, which in this case was 15 years. And previously, we just didn't have these types of estimates, which made all sorts of other studies looking at both drivers and impacts of wildfire smoke so much more difficult to do. In doing this research, there were definitely some challenges, and I think there's two big ones that I want to highlight. The first of those in measuring wildfire smoke is the somewhat obvious one of how do we attribute PM2.5 to wildfire smoke. What we observe on the ground is just total PM2.5, but given that total daily concentration, it's not obvious which of the PM2.5 should be attributed to wildfire smoke. On really extreme pollution days, there's not really a question of whether wildfire smoke is affecting air quality, but on the more subtle but still important days, with less elevated PM2.5, it's more difficult. Our solution here was to combine data from these ground-based air pollution monitors with satellite-based estimates of where wildfire smoke is. We use the two data sources together to define what background PM2.5 levels would be when wildfire smoke wasn't affecting air quality, and then attribute everything over that background level to wildfire smoke when we know that smoke is overhead. This lets us define smoke PM 2.5 in the locations where we have monitors. But the second challenge is that these ground monitors only exist at a couple thousand locations in the contiguous U.S. And there are large expanses of the U.S., especially in the West, without monitors. So to come up with spatially continuous estimates of SMOKE PM2.5, we trained a machine learning model on satellite data to predict SMOKE PM2.5 in locations with the monitors, and then predict in new locations to come up with these continuous estimates over the contiguous U.S. I do want to just note that while these were, I think, advances in coming up with SMOKE PM2.5 estimates, they really build on a rich existing literature that has isolated smoke pm2.5 in other contexts or predicted total pm2.5 in other locations.
0: Hmm, interesting. Yeah, and this is also reminding me again of that recent additional conversation about air pollution where um some of the very same challenges were called out, you know, the lack of of widespread monitors, particularly of certain types of pollutants, and the need to sort of combine data sources in order to really get robust pictures. So I'm, I'm definitely getting a stronger sense of um, how folks are innovating when it comes to air quality research these days. It's very, very interesting. Um, and where did that satellite data come from? Is that something that's sort of widely available? Or is that a a kind of a novel data source that you brought to bear here?
1: The estimates of smoke plumes that we used are from the NOAA hazard mapping system. Um, They have analysts that draw plumes over the U.S. every day using geostationary satellites. Um, So that's a publicly available data source and one that's been used for many years to estimate um, where wildfire smoke is occurring. But I think... One of the challenges with that is it's, is we just are seeing from sky. So we don't actually know that given a plume, where in the atmospheric column the smoke really is and whether it's affecting people on the ground.
0: Hmm. Interesting. Well, let's turn to some findings. And there are many in this paper. Uh, you were really able to look at exposure to wildfire smoke across a range of dimensions. And maybe I can start with geographic, of course. Uh, you know, you mentioned you were able to extrapolate to the full United States or at least the lower 48, I guess, uh, United States, and then also a little bit maybe about the temporal dimensions, because you did also note that, um, you know, there are a number of years of data here. So I'd love to hear more about how exposure has changed, is differed based on geography and also maybe how it's changed over time. So can we start there?
1: Yeah, sure. Unsurprisingly to most folks, um, one of our big findings is that smoke is increasing fastest in the American West. And we find in some places, wildfire smoke is contributing up to 5 micrograms per cubic meter more to average annual PM 2.5 levels than it was a decade ago. And to put those 5 micrograms into context, the EPA annual standard is 12 micrograms per cubic meter. So this is really a large increase over just a decade. I think a second temporal finding is that we're seeing increases not just in average smoke PM2.5, but also in the number and uh, extent of extreme smoke days. We considered a whole bunch of definitions of extreme, but I'll focus on a central one, which we defined as days with smoke PM2.5 concentrations above 100 micrograms per cubic meter, which would be unhealthy in terms of the air quality index. Over the last decade, we estimate a 27-fold increase in the average number of people exposed to at least one extreme smoke day per year. And in 2020 alone, we estimated almost 25 million people were exposed to at least one day with extreme smoke.
0: And I I also wanted to ask about another kind of set of variables that you looked at, albeit I think a little bit more initially than some of the geography and temporal questions, but you did also touch on some demographic variables such as race and income in terms of looking at exposure as well. And so I know there's probably a lot more that you could do there, but can you can you say a little bit about what you have been able to look at so far and what you might be able to do moving forward?
1: Mm-hmm. We compared smoke exposure a decade ago to now um, for different census tracts and looked at the um, racial and ethnic breakup of those census tracts. We found that census tracts with higher percent Hispanic uh, are seeing smoke exposure growing fastest This is somewhat unsurprising given the geographic distribution of those places and the geographic distribution of smoke, where we're seeing a lot more smoke in the western half of the country and especially the southwest, um, which is also where we see many census tracts with higher percent Hispanic. We also see a slightly larger um, increase for higher income census tracts, um, which is counter to the usual pattern of total PM exposure, where we often see really high PM2.5 in lower income places. I do want to caveat all of that by saying we're measuring smoke PM2.5, which is actually occurring on top of background levels. So while these exposures might be different from the patterns of total PM2.5, it's important to think about the fact that these operate on top of existing PM2.5 levels and on top of existing vulnerabilities.
0: Right, right. So you shared a little bit of the intuition of, of why Hispanic populations might have been kind of disproportionately exposed. But I'm curious about the high income piece. Is that because of where locations of you know expensive properties are in relation to where wildfires are happening? Or can you say a little bit about the intuition there?
1: Mhm. I think part of that may just be driven by the relatively wealthy census tracts in many parts of California. Um we didn't break that down in particular and I think that's something we could do more with, but I think that's an explanation for the patterns we see.
0: Yeah, interesting. Okay. Well, I'm going to I'm going to hone in on a statistic that um very similar to the one you mentioned before, but really really brought home for me um Kind of what we're, what we're dealing with here. And you wrote in the paper that some of these Western regions saw decadal increases in annual smoke, PM 2.5, of five micrograms per cubic meter or greater, as you mentioned. And then the paper notes that is an amount comparable in absolute magnitude to the reduction in PM 2.5 brought about by the Clean Air Act in the U.S. So I'm, I want to restate that because that really struck me. So we're talking about decadal increases. That are comparable in magnitude to the reductions brought about by the most comprehensive clean air regulation in the United States. So this is really, this is really the kind of illustrative of the magnitude of the challenge that we're talking about here. And so, <laughs> um, at the risk of making you responsible for solving very significant problem, but I, I did want to ask, you know, in your view, um, what else do we need to do? What other research advancements, whether they're in your discipline or in others? What do we really need to know to be able to help the U.S. get its arms around this problem? Mm -hmm. Again, a huge question, but I'd welcome your insights on that.
1: Yeah, I think there are lots of big questions here, and maybe I'll separate them into somewhat arbitrary binary, but questions about the impacts of wildfire smoke and questions about the drivers and determinants of wildfire smoke. I think on the impact side, which is where my research more lies, um, one big question is to understand the long-term health effects of smoke exposure and the health effects of chronic repeated exposure as is becoming a problem for a lot of people in the west on the drivers and determinant side a question that i am wildly ill-equipped to answer is is whether and how to think about regulating wildfire smoke pm 2.5 which is currently considered an exceptional act, event under the clean air act um, and i think because the clean air act has been so successful as you mentioned Now, wildfire smoke is making up a very large portion of the pollution that people are exposed to, but it's not regulated under there. I think we also need to figure out how to prevent these kind of enormous fires that produce so much smoke. That's going to involve both more prescribed burns thinning. Um, and again, this is not something within my discipline, but it is a really important thing for us to figure out because wildfire smoke, as we've just discussed, is just growing so rapidly as a problem.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And are there any kind of areas of interest for you personally that you're looking to do next in this on this general topic?
1: Yeah. I actually didn't set out on this research to do this study at all. I started out wanting to um, study the health effects of wildfire smoke. I was wondering, what are the mortality effects? Do they differ from total PM2.5? And I realized that that study was really challenging to do because we didn't have estimates of smoke PM2.5. We just didn't know how much people were being exposed to. And so it led us down this long rabbit hole of, of this entire study. And so I'm excited now to get to use these estimates. It's a really terrible pollution problem that we're facing, but I think this data set is the beginning of how we can start to study it for some things. Um, and so I think, you know, after all the effort that we put into to making these predictions, um, I hope we can now put them to good use.
0: Fantastic. Well, we'll welcome you back on the podcast anytime to talk about the further use that you're able to get out of that data set. Cause yeah, it sounds like it was a, a lot of work and has led to some important thinking and, and can really build a good foundation for future research. So um, well, Marissa, thank you so much for for talking through this work with me. Uh, and I did want to close by asking you what's on the top of your stack. And so, um, you know, if you have more good content, uh, it can be of any media variety, it can be on this topic or not, but would really welcome your recommendations for what our listeners might want to take a look at. So Marissa, what's on the top of your stack? Sitting on my bookshelf right now is uh, a book called All We Can Save, which is a
1: collection edited by Ayanna Johnson and Catherine Wilkinson. Um, I've been looking forward to it for a while, but haven't had a chance to sit down with it. So uh, hoping that maybe this winter when it gets cold, I'll sit down and read it.
0: (laughs) Well, it's rapidly gotten cold here in Washington, D.C., and it's about uh, 51 degrees here right now. So our listeners have at least a few more days of cold to enjoy a good book and certainly Welcome that recommendation. So, um, well, fantastic! Thank you so much, and I look forward to talking with you soon. Thank you so much, Kristen. You've been listening to Resources Radio, a podcast from Resources for the Future. If you have a minute, we'd really appreciate you leaving us a rating or a comment on your podcast platform of choice. Also, feel free to send us your suggestions for future episodes. This podcast is made possible with the generous financial support of our listeners. You can help us continue producing these kinds of discussions on the topics that you care about by making a donation to Resources for the Future online at rff.org donate. RFF is an independent nonprofit research institution in Washington, DC. Our mission is to improve environmental, energy, and natural resource decisions through impartial economic research and policy engagement. The views expressed on this podcast are solely those of the podcast guests and may differ from those of RFF experts, its officers, or its directors. RFF does not take positions on specific legislative proposals. Resources Radio is produced by Elizabeth Wasson with music by Daniel Ramey. Join us next week for another episode.